This is my favorite podcast ever. It's terrible. The fact that <laughs> the fact that Matt Stelfer said tri blends on the Laramel podcast <laughs> makes me really happy. Welcome back to another episode of the Laravel Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Stauffer. Guys, can you introduce yourselves? My name is Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. I still want an explosion sounds whenever you guys announce yourselves, by the way. <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to go to those little soundboards, like a Simpson soundboard or something. So this week, uh, what I, uh, all three of us at varying times have folks come to us and say, how do I get started or how do I learn more or how, how do I this? And, and sometimes it's about the higher level ideas about becoming just the best PHP developer that's ever existed, the best Laravel developer. But sometimes it's someone who's never written code, a line of code ever, and wants to learn Laravel. So we thought it'd be cool if for a week, for this particular episode, we just talked about learning for a little bit and uh, tools and sites and books and which language you learn first and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to be asking some questions uh, one after another, and we'll see where it goes. So um, this isn't actually how I planned it first, but I'm actually going to start with this one right here, which is if I eventually want to be a crack Laravel developer and I've never coded before. So let's say I, you know, just got out of school or I'm just switching, um, you know, from, you know, English or something. And I say, you know what? I really want to be a Laravel developer. I want to do what you guys do. Um, Where do I start? And uh, the second half of that question is usually, well, okay, I understand that it's probably worth learning this and that, but do I need to learn JavaScript or should I learn? So for you guys, if somebody just has never written a line of code in their lives, what programming languages would they start with for starters? I would, gosh, I've thought about this a lot because they actually have these um, sort of intro to coding workshops here in Litterock uh, where I live. And I've seen them, I've seen uh, different approaches like sometimes i start with javascript uh, i would say most of the time i see people start with javascript which is kind of interesting i guess because like you don't really need a back-end web server and you can kind of have a little html page with some javascript where maybe you can do some loops and if statements and stuff like that so that is kind of kind of useful i think um i'm not really one of those people that has like a strong opinion that you must learn on x language so like i think even learning on php is pretty cool because it is 80 percent of the internet um so your your actual real world usage is obviously going to be like vast and expansive because you have WordPress and e-commerce platforms and frameworks like Laravel and Symfony. So you have so much you can do. And, you know, the internet um, is something people, it's something that draws people in, right? Like people like making their own website or like putting their own presence out there online. So it's, it's fun to start with. Uh, versus like building, say, like a desktop app in .NET or something, which isn't quite like as exciting and cutting edge. So, I mean, I know some people don't really recommend PHP because they feel like it's not as good as like other pure object-oriented languages like a C-sharp or Java or something. But I actually really like it because it is so immensely practical and is going to be so useful for you uh, going forward. And it actually pairs really well with also learning a little JavaScript at the same time because you're using a web language. So I'm not ashamed to recommend PHP for, for people to start coding. Also, uh, I, I forgot to mention this. PHP has such like a high, um, 
sort of feedback loop where you can change something in the PHP, hit it in your web browser. You don't have to like recompile or do any other steps. You can just change some code in Sublime Text or even like Notepad++ or whatever and update it in Chrome and you can you can see your uh, instant results. So it's very good and I think it's important when you're first learning to have like quick um, sort of wins, like a lot of quick wins so you can sort of get uh, kind of a positive morale going as you're working. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty good advice, the quick wins idea. The um, I generally say JavaScript, but not because I, I think PHP is just fine. It's mostly for that very reason, the quick wins, where when I was first learning PHP, it's like, wow, you have to figure out all of this stuff. Like, You just want to figure out like how to, how to get something on a web page, but immediately you're back then, it's like, okay, you got to figure out what MAMP is or WAMP, and you have to install that, and then suddenly you're, you're editing php.ini files because it was, it was much harder back then, and you're setting up MySQL and Apache, and it's like, oh, my God, I haven't even gotten started with this, and already I feel overwhelmed with all of these different tools I have to learn. But no, like once you, these days it's actually pretty easy to get set up. There's like one click installers for everything. Uh, so I think PHP would be fine. I think JavaScript is very cool only because you can open up a browser and immediately start playing. So for example, I was teaching my, um, I'm actually in a unique situation. I have two brothers right now who are interested in it and they're at completely different stages in their life. So my little brother is 15, who's kind of showing interest in it. So I just took him to jsbin.com and he could immediately start kind of playing with the language, which I think is, is incredibly valuable. You know, you can start showing them how to create a variable, what a what a conditional is, and all that stuff. You can show them that immediately without having to deal with, okay, first we need to get an editor for you, then we need a server, then we have to set up a date. You know, all that stuff is like, man, if they're still on the cusp, if, if you're not careful, they'll just lose interest before they even start learning how to program. Uh, now, my other brother, who who's older than me, he's 37, and I think he's kind of experiencing this thing right now where, like, our industry is the most in-demand industry on the planet, and we make pretty good money, you know, compared to, to most other industries. So I think he's seeing that, and he's thinking, like, man, maybe I should just buckle down and learn this stuff, and my, my income will double. And it, it was hard because he was talking to me about this, and at one point he's like, if I can get up to speed on this, maybe we can – you know, go into business together. And it was kind of hard for me to explain, like, the the amount of time you're going to have to put into this is extraordinary. You know, it's not one of the... I think he had in his mind that you buckle down for six months and, and you're good to go, you know? And it's like, you can... I just don't think it works like that, you know? It's like, for me, it, it took years. I, you hate saying that to people. Uh, maybe in six months, if you work all day you can you can become decent but some of this just comes down to experience i've been doing it for 10 years and i still feel like there's so much i i, I just don't understand yet so it's 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 hard to to tell people what to do first when you when you know that the rabbit hole just goes so incredibly deep i usually just turn it into steps so it's like okay step one you need to learn HTML. Just focus on that for the next two months. Step two, just focus on CSS, you know, and, and websites like Treehouse that are, are really good for beginners are, are great for that. And we're not, we're like, we're ignoring a lot of this tangential stuff, like how to use a terminal, how to manage like stuff on the file system, like stuff we just yes. assume people know. Oh, yeah. Or as simple as where is the curly brace or where is the semicolon? You forget, like, it's just common sense. It's not common sense for people. I was telling my little brother, okay, hit open curly brace. And he's like, okay, where is that? And I was like, all right, shift. And then <laughs> you forget how much you've learned because that stuff, it's like you don't even begin to think about that. But some people do. So, yeah, it's, it's overwhelming for them, I'm sure. Yeah, and I, it's interesting. I think we, um, 
we especially as people who've like kind of been teaching ourselves as we go like uh, there's a sense of um, uh, there's part of our memory that says oh, yeah man you just teach yourself you just learn some html some css some javascript a little bit of php you're gonna good to go but like just thinking about like where were you five years in like where were you 10 years in like would you pay that person today like to do the work you're doing right now no they wouldn't they wouldn't be nearly capable like i've been doing this for uh, 96 so is that 19 years and i still feel like a hack like i still feel like i'm barely good enough to do it and so it's it's i'm with you guys it's it's super discouraging um but i think one of the things that helps is giving people little opportunities to see whether it's something that is worth them devoting the next five years, 10 years of their lives to. So one of them is definitely discouraging this. Like people see, oh man, you know, it's self-taught. You know, you, you just told me that a computer science degree is not the right answer and I can make a ton of money. And I see 19-year-olds making a lot of money doing it. Therefore, it must, must be something I can teach myself very quickly and make a lot of money really quickly. And it's like, and you got to like, make sure that the language or the message we're sending is, is yes, you can teach it to yourself. Yes, that may be even the best way to do it. Or it might be better in a CS degree. Um, and yes, you can eventually make a lot of money, but you're not going to make a lot of money when you start. And it's going to take you a long time to get to the point that you want to get to. Um, so what I try to do is I try to get people on, um, and I've, I'm actually doing this with three people right now. So my younger brother, he took some uh, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and a little bit of PHP at a community college a few years back. Um, but he's not any, able to make any money off of it right now because he just kind of learned that and then that was it. So I'm handing all my old clients over to him. So all my old WordPress clients that I still maintain from back in the day and just the people who I did a little one-off HTML and CSS work, I'm handing them off to them. And so he's getting kind of a slow in. So that's something nice to be able to have like, look, Titan doesn't take small clients. To, so to be able to have people who are learning, who I can say, you're responsible for this and you come to me with any questions and I'll vet your work before you deliver it. That's a cool thing. But for a lot of people, I've got two other guys who are just literally in a different field and said, I want to learn this. And I'm like, okay, cool. HTML and CSS and JavaScript on Treehouse. That's the, that's the thing. I want you to be able to build. I want, I want you to be able to draw something on a whiteboard and you know, do something reasonable. And I want you to be able to build it in HTML, style it in CSS, and do really basic rudimentary jQuery and JavaScript. And then... Yep. And then we'll talk about some simple PHP backend, whether it's a WordPress or a custom PHP or a framework or something like that. But like we're sitting there talking about frameworks and I'm trying to show them something and then they're like, well, what's Composer? And then I'm like, well, this and they're like, well, what's Git? I'm like this and they're like, what's the command line? And so like piece by piece by piece, we realize how little they know. So, you know, one of the guys was was working through a Treehouse PHP thing and he was hearing all these words about composer and laravel and framework all this kind of stuff and he just got super overwhelmed i'm like just ignore all that for a bit let's make a website and see if you like it and then let's make the website have a little bit of like a back-end powering it and then see if you like that and you're either gonna love it or hate it pretty quick it's it's funny i i was thinking back to like some of the first projects that i took on and i remember back then i was I was researching to see, like, is it okay to take on client work if you're still kind of learning on the job? I remember researching that, like, that was something that wasn't okay, and it's like, I'm still learning on the job for every single thing I do. So, um, yeah, I, I think that would be a good thing to teach people, too. Like, once you have the basics, it's okay to take on simple client work, just as long as you know, like, yeah, you're going to be referencing Stack Overflow all the time. That doesn't make you a bad person. People way more seasoned than you do that every single day. It's just kind of par for the course. Yeah. Uh, it, if I look back, it's like, man, there was so much to learn. It's definitely fun, but there is a lot of that. Okay, well, now I need to learn this. And you learn that. And it's like, well, that references this. So I have to learn that. And it's just this constant set of bullet points that you had. Like even last night. Okay, I was up super late last night. I'm working on a, a redesign of Laracast. So that's taking up a lot of my time right now. But 
I even was like doing the same thing where I was working on this one section of the site and I decided like, oh, this is a perfect use of Flexbox, but I'm not that well seasoned in it just yet. Like Flexbox is hard to learn. I think once you have it, you're good to go. But until then, there's all these new properties like justify contents or align items and flex grow and flex shrink. It's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming at first. So I went and started like watching a bunch of videos on Flexbox to get ready. And then later I was doing testing and I saw this brand new test framework called uh, Kalan, which looks incredible, by the way. So I ended up um, reading the documentation for that for two hours. And I, I think that's incredibly promising, which we can maybe talk about later or another episode. But yeah, it's, it's like after 10 years, this is still just basic workflow for me is just finding something, hitting a roadblock. Okay, I got to learn that. You get that next step. Okay, I need to learn this. Let me research that. You know, that's just the way it goes. That's why you really have to love it. As I always say that it's like you have to be into this. So if you have the bug, uh, I think you're good to go. But if you if you do those first few weeks, and you're just not into it, then um, maybe it's not for you. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um and I, I, I think it must be emphasized that it is a, it's a lot of work. And I think this whole idea of college is not the best way to do it. I, we just got to reemphasize that, that whether or not college is the right way, there's some colleges that are trying to keep up. Um, but it, there's just as much learning as you would have to do in college and maybe more because there's a lot of just on the job experience. And, and some people come to us applying for jobs who in three or four years have really picked up an incredible amount of knowledge um, about frameworks and about uh, code. So in theory, they're like, hey, we should be hireable. But the problem is they have, they have absolutely no practical experience. And that's a thing too. And, and, and that's true in any, any field. And, and sometimes you just got to be able to will, be willing to work as a junior or mid-level developer for a while um, to gain that practical experience. Because especially when we hire people who have uh, never like had a real job or uh, even the difference between people who've only ever worked for somebody else versus people who started their own business. There's different levels of experience there. You know, people who've been freelancing since the 90s, you know, have a similar level of experience to Dan and I that is that brings a certain kind of benefit as an employee. And we we, we definitely weigh that in the hiring process. So, OK, so. Oh, good. Oh, just real quick. I, I just remembered two things that I always hear. Uh, the first one. I'm sorry. I, I remembered one thing that I always hear is people say, I want to learn how to code, but I wouldn't know what to build. So have you guys ever heard that? Where it's, it's like, I need, I need a product to build. So like, this is what my brother said to me. He's like, I, I want to get into this, but I, I just don't have any ideas for things to build. Like that would be step one. And it's hard to explain like, no, you may not do that for years and years. You can just build toy stuff, you know? That's what you should be building right now. It's just complete toys that will be thrown away in two days. But yeah, that's a common thing that comes up. What do I build? I think one thing that makes it sort of deceiving how, how, how long it takes to learn is like, I don't know if you're like me, but I had my first computer at, I think, like 12. And all of those years of like just tinkering around on the computer, like give you a foundation for doing computer things, I feel like. But from the outside, it looks like, oh, I, I went to college and took like two or three programming classes and became a programmer. But I really think you have to trace it all the way back to like childhood and like playing around with the files, playing around with like hacking around on your computer and doing, you know, just trying to mess with it and install things and tweak things and blah, blah, blah. And I think all of that sort of gives you a good foundation, too, um, that it takes a while to get comfortable with all that stuff. 
Yeah. And that's not to say that somebody can't gain that somebody who doesn't have that experience of being a geek since childhood can't ever get there. But just to just it's worth noting that those things have an influence uh, and there may be a little you don't always notice them. Oh, yeah. So um, so one of the things that people who are in this situation are starting to do more often is the boot camps. And there's a lot of controversy around these boot camps where you're talking about you go really in depth for six weeks or six months or whatever it is. And you just learn usually Rails and front-end stuff. Sometimes it's JavaScript-based. I doubt if there are any PHP ones, but maybe there are. Um, and you learn, and then you come out, and you're supposed to be hireable right away. And there's definitely diversity among them. You know, we just talked to somebody recently who went to Nashville Software School who's supposed to do things different than the other boot camps. But um, I just wondered, have you guys either had any thoughts about the boot camps or interacted with people who come out of the boot camps and had positive negative experiences? Or is this something you guys haven't had much exposure to yet? I think boot camps are, are pretty amazing, actually. I, I don't, I don't have any criticism whatsoever. Maybe beyond the notion that in in three months you'll you'll be hireable. If you are hireable, I mean, it it has to be like entry level. I, I I just personally don't know how that works because I remember when I was learning, I had plenty of nights where I was up till three in the morning, where I have like three books in front of me trying to figure out just basic CSS. You know, some of this just comes with time. It's not like. I'm not sure you can just cram it all into to a three-month period and then get two years' worth of experience. I don't know. Maybe you can. Uh, I've never done a boot camp, so I don't know. Maybe maybe you can. But regardless of how talented you are when you come out, I, I think it's a great idea to just expose yourself in this world every single day like regular school, I, I think, is a great idea. Yeah. I don't have a ton of experience with boot camps, but... You know, depending on the cost, I could see where it could be a, a beneficial thing to like immerse yourself in something. And it sort of reminds me of like, um, if you've ever known someone that did like English as a second language training, like a lot of times they'll have like a boot camp like that where you like really like dive into the language you're trying to learn for a few weeks and try to just soak up as much as you can. So, I mean, I, I've seen that kind of approach in other fields, but I haven't really talked to enough people that have done it in the software field to know like how beneficial it actually was for them after the fact. Yeah, I, I don't have enough of that yet. I'm really hoping to soon. Um, I do know that they usually cost tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so there's been at least some criticism saying, well, yeah, what you're doing is helping, you know, kids who are adults who have the, you know, the safety net of being able to not work and spend that much money. So th- there's some some criticisms there. But I mean, the same thing is true in some places for school. I mean, so maybe maybe there could be financial aid for them. But in general, when I look at I I feel the same way. I, I like it. I think in-depth interaction with that kind of stuff is good. I have seen attitudes from some folks that says, I came out of a boot camp, you should be able to hire me now. And that I don't I don't think that's true at all. I think that's, that's silly. Um, but I just came out of a boot camp and I may be ready for a junior position. I think that's true. And, and I've kind of started to look at a boot camp a little bit more like, a, um, like an alternative to a, a computer science degree. So like... You don't come out of college and expect a senior development position, so don't come out of boot camp and expect a senior development position. But if we're telling people a CS degree might not be the way to go, four years and eighty thousand uh, dollars, a boot camp, you know, a couple months and fifteen thousand dollars, where it's all practical, hands-on experience with people who actually work in the industry, that might be the new kind of the new way for a web developer, to at least to get get up from nothing, you know, to to CS or to, to junior juniorable, junior hireable, I guess. I think it maybe rubs me the wrong way just a little bit because just the basic idea of like dig into this for three months and then get a job, it makes me feel like it's not giving our industry the respect it deserves because it's mm-hmm. like I, I, I get this with my mom a lot too where sometimes I can pick up on this feeling like she doesn't 
think what I do is worthy or as good as like a real engineer's job or a real doctor. And it's like you're putting the same amount of effort into it. You're never you – know, it's like you're never not learning. You're putting a decade of your life into this easily and then you'll just keep going. But sometimes I still feel like it's like, well, you are on the computer when you're 13, you know, like Taylor said, and you're still doing it now. So, I mean, this just isn't that hard. And that's where I've even heard people like, can I do this? And it's like, well, yeah, if you want to if you want to put in the work, just like if you wanted to become a doctor or a, a regular engineer, you, if you put in the work, you can do it. But this isn't something you can just learn in two months. So maybe that's why it rubs me wrong a little bit. But yeah. um, other than that, yeah, like I said, I think I think a boot camp is, is great. Just any way to um, immerse yourself into a community and just be surrounded by people who love this. I mean, how could that be a bad thing? Yeah, I just did a I just did a quick calculation on the boot camps thing. And like if you were in a three hour college course, so three hours a week for a whole year or for thirty six weeks, which would be like a college year, that would be I think a hundred and eight hours. And if you were in a three month boot camp for forty hours a week, which is what this one was that I was familiar with, that would be like four hundred hours. So you can actually get quite a bit of time. Um, in the boot camp. So I guess it could be feasible. You'd have to soak up a ton of knowledge and like <laughs> really have your uh, listening ears on, I guess. And, and I think what we kind of just mentioned is the concept is good, but um, the attitudes within it or around it can be good or bad. Um, but that doesn't make something good or bad just because people have the wrong attitude about it. So, okay. So um, what are the quintessential books every backend developer should have read? And so this may be one that you need to read right when you get started, or it might be one that you need to read a couple years in, but just, just, do you have a list of books where you're just like, man, if you have not read these, these are the books you need to read. And I don't know. I know I didn't give you guys time to prep on this one, but I want to see if you have any ideas. So are we talking still from a beginner's point of view? Like what would we recommend to a beginner? Any, anywhere. Yeah. This, this question is less, what should someone start with? And more uh, at any time along, let's say someone, let's say someone's been programming for five years and says, you know what, I feel like I've read some really good books, but I feel like there's probably some like foundational ones that everyone should have read that I haven't read yet. Could you give me your list that I should have read before? Hmm. I'd have to go look at my bookshelf. I think uh, I know, I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> I think everyone has one or two books where you, you just think like, oh, so many things clicked when I read that book. That's such a good feeling when something clicks for you. Uh, for me, God, I don't want to sound cliche and reference some of the common books, but it's true. You know, those clean code books, it's like those do open your eyes in, in many ways. Database fundamental. There's one called... Um, databases for mere mortals i think it's called uh, even if you're if you're well seasoned in sql it's like it's it's an amazing resource i find a lot of people and, and this was definitely true for me you learn kind of the basics of, of working with the database and then you just kind of make it work from then on you just kind of picks you pick things up slowly but a lot of people i, I found like don't really focus on good database design and and you'd, i think you'd be amazed by how many working developers kind of struggle with what a group by actually means i think you'd be surprised actually i think a lot of people just kind of wing it and see if it works so i would recommend really learn that stuff it, it made a huge difference in my career uh, what else clean code there's the the ruby oh what's the famous one by sandy Metz. I've only read like three programming books, so I'll just name like those books. <laughs> um, uh, the books I read actually when I was I was working at a, a corporate programming job doing .NET, but I was like not really into programming um, 
like as a passion or as a hobby, like I would say that we all are now, like where we just kind of do programming for fun a lot of times. So the first books that kind of like lit that fire under me to to be really interested in programming, like as a craft, were uh, I remember Pragmatic Programmers, one of the first programming books I read, which is really good. And it's not that's not like a, hot, a technical book per se, but it's just about programming in general and being a good programmer. Um, another book that was really good, which is also not a very technical book is getting real by 37 signals, which like really inspired me in terms of like building good products and and stuff like that. And then a third book, which I actually do not hear mentioned very often is this book called people where, um, it's a kind of a classic book, uh, written in 1999. I see on an Amazon, it's $5 for the paperback, but it's, it's called people where productive projects and teams. And I read that, uh, when I was on like sort of like a death march uh, .net project that was just like really struggling. And it's actually a really classic uh, book on productive teamwork and management and stuff like that. So all three of those books were were really good. But I remember Pragmatic Programmer especially was um, one of the first programming books I read that really sort of like inspired me to be a great programmer. All right. So I'm curious, um, Taylor, how do you personally keep up on things like do you just prefer the just get in and code and learn along the way or like how do you how do you learn new stuff if you're not reading lots of books yeah if i see a new tool i'll usually try to pull it down and play with it a little bit like if i see a a cool new php library or um i'm not very good at javascript but if there's a cool javascript library just pull it down on npm and sort of and play with it um i've i learned gulp and uh gulp from laracast actually um Oh, yeah. So that was that was how I got into the first front end stuff I ever did. I actually learned some Angular and Vue on Laracast, I think. Cool. Okay, you, Matt. Um, so it's interesting because some of the books that I think will be on this list, I still haven't finished, so I'm going to have to cheat on those a little bit. But I um, I came from front end, actually came from design to front end development to back end development. So I feel like I'm still in the process of like asking these questions to other people. So pragmatic promer- programmer for sure. Um, clean code encoder I own and have skimmed and really like clean code. Uh, I, but I have, I've never read enough of them to really know for sure. Um, I, it's interesting cause some of the ones that the folks I hang around tend to uh, recommend having to do with, uh, patterns of enterprise application architecture and stuff like that head first design patterns. I think it's good to have an exposure to those, but I don't know if I would say, man, every developer must have read these cause they think they're good in particular contexts and not useful if you don't find yourself in those contexts. Um, interestingly, some of the books that have informed my thinking the most are actually front-end books, but I kind of am on, on the verge of saying everybody should read them anyway. Interestingly, if you ever do any front-end work at all, uh, some of the stuff is common now, but Even Faster Websites by um, Sanders, I think, was well, the foundation of a lot of the why slow stuff that we all kind of know now, like less HTTP requests and all that kind of stuff. That book is where it came from, and it's really good to have it on reference because if you ever need to know more about those recommendations you're getting about e-tags or caches or HTTP status requests, that's where it comes from. Um, also, the JavaScript, the good parts, um, especially if you work in JavaScript, but even if you don't, just understanding a little bit. And I think that's the thing for me is some of the stuff that has been most helpful for me as a programmer are the kind of the best ofs from other languages. Um, and I know j- j- the good parts may not be the best ofs. Like there's one called maintainable JavaScript that has really helped me uh, understand how to write, you know, big amounts of we all know how to write like a little bit of javascript but writing big amounts of javascript for big sites on a team it was really helpful for me but also yeah the um uh growing object oriented software divided guided by tests and then the what uh the sandy metz book the um which is what practical object oriented design in, in rails ruby. or something nailed in it ruby yeah nailed it that that's um, it okay <laughs> i feel like oh don't make me think 
um, which is a, a like a UX and UI kind of thing. Um, but just for your understanding of what your website should present to the user and how you should be doing that kind of stuff. And I found that the type of stuff that has to do with how I'm solving problems is often the stuff that makes me a better coder, not just things that are about code in particular. And I found that some of the best stuff for that is stuff I've only ever skimmed. So again, it's I'm cheating to recommend it, but like extreme programming, uh, working effectively with legacy code. Um, there's this book that uh, Adam talk, showed me about called Are Your Lights On, which is just about problem solving in general. Um, these kind of things are just about problem solving and communication and that kind of stuff. Um, like there's another book here called Nonviolent Communication that is not about programming at all, but the way I've read it has really helped me think. So it's interesting for me because I think that I'm less likely to say, oh yeah, you know, these are the best ones. And of course I've read, I've got the, uh, what is, what are the purple books? Is it rocks or whoever those ones are? PHP and MySQL web development. That thing is like 800 pages long. Oh, and I read yeah, every, every page, <laughs> Like a long time ago, there's something to be said about just having kind of worked painfully through one of those one day. But and I think that the um the the book apart, all of them are worth a read. Absolutely. Now I would say actually on this note, you know, everyone brings up the um you know the the, the tech bibles we always talk about, like the design patterns book, the white one with the blue with the blue border, and there there's a couple other. I think it's okay if you read those and think, what the hell am I reading? One of my favorite podcasts, <laughs> you know, we have to bring up DHH at least once per podcast. I was listening to him, I can't remember, some podcast or some keynote, and he brings up the fact that those books are about the worst things imaginable in terms of teaching. Because, I mean, if you read them, it's like, what am I reading? They're, they're using examples that really don't apply to the web even remotely. So, and mm-hmm. it's like, you have to work through them. And even then, it's like they are not designed in a way to be friendly to students. They are not teacherly, if that's a word. So uh, yeah. I think it's okay to look at those books and just think, oh, my God, this this isn't for me. That's perfectly okay. Everyone recommends them because, like, if you if you dig deep, you can kind of extract some stuff from it. But they are not good resources in terms of teaching, even remotely. And I was, gl- I was glad to hear DHH say that because I've always thought that, but then it's almost like blasphemy if you even remotely criticize <laughs> one of these, these cherished books in our community. Yeah. So it's okay uh, if, if it's not your thing. Um, there's a book, and I, don't, I can't remember if it's How to Win fl- Friends and Influence People or not, um, but the, my friend Eric Regan, who runs Focus Lab, he, um, he recommended, he does a lot of these kind of soft skills type books. Uh, you know, it helps him run a business. So especially if you're interested in, not just being head down in code, but also kind of thinking about businessy stuff. It's worth kind of stepping outside of just some of the code ones and thinking about books that are a little bit more about just working with people. The Mythical Man Month is one that everyone refers to all the time, but nobody's almost nobody's ever actually read it, but it might be worth buying it and skimming it. Uh, and Extreme Programming's there. I know Agile Software Development and uh, p- uh, p- Principles, Practices, Patterns, Patterns, whatever that one. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, there's clearly way more books, um, but we're super short on time and we. I'm trying to think of... Um, what else? You know what? I, there's, there's one more thing I want to talk about before we close it up for the day, which is, uh, we've talked about this before, but one thing that's really common when you're learning is that you learn a new trick. Um, and then that trick is what you do to absolutely everything. Right. And we've, you know, we kind of tend to reference the ones that have gone through the, the layer of all community, whether it's, you know, repositories or commands or whatever, but like, how, are there any things that as a learner you can do to identify when you're about to, you know, see you know, what what is it when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail to identify those things where like you're super excited about one thing or another 
and avoid just abusing it? Or is it, do you just learn those just by doing it wrong and then seeing that in retrospect? Yeah, I feel like you have to work through it. I don't know. Like, I think it's basic uh, human nature to learn something, get very excited about it, immediately want to try it out on projects. And then once you go through that, you're like, okay, now I can lay back and I know this is kind of cool to know, but I don't necessarily need to do this all the time. I'm not sure if there's necessarily any other way, though, when you get excited about something um, there have been a, f- a few things in the Laravel framework I've even seen where like you can tell Taylor got excited about something and then maybe pulled back a little bit once you have time to, to live with it. I think that's just the way it goes. Um, I'm not sure it's necessarily bad. I think we need to be careful again when it comes to Twitter where people kind of push these things very quickly and we're also new to some of these new concepts. So um, that rubs me the wrong way. But other than that, I just think it's it's just part of the learning process. I, um, I think we've at times kind of... Uh, decried the fact that, you know, community leaders can get really excited about something and then kind of share with everybody. But I think there's something worth knowing is that like, no matter how long somebody's programming, no matter how many followers they have, or how excited you are to follow them, they can still get excited about things, right? And and then want to use them. So Jeffrey will try out a new JavaScript framework and get excited. And then he'll talk about that, you know, or Taylor will, or I will, or whoever else. So I think there's something about all of us as learners and as followers of other people to just keep in mind. And that's not just other people to us, it's us to other people. Uh, it's, you know, people, w- the people who you respect will j- are just as likely to get super excited about something and just talk about it because it's what they're learning at the moment. And that's just a part of life. So all right, um, two more things, and then we're done. One, is there any one thing, whether it's a book or a language or a tool or a trick or a concept or whatever, that you wish you had known when you got started? If you could go back and tell yourself, however many years ago, decades ago, uh, this one thing, go do this, or here's a piece of wisdom I can drop on you or something. Is there one thing that you wish you had known back then? For me, the the biggest change in my career was... I was mainly a back-end developer, and I learned some front-end, and that, like, totally changed. It made it possible to build uh, my own, like, prototype without having to bug my people, my friends that actually knew how to do CSS to say, can you please mock up this for me, and I'll, I'll build the PHP, blah, blah, blah. Um, so if, if you only know back-end or you only know front-end, try to know um, just enough of the others so that you can at least build. If you can't build, like, the final thing, like, I can't build a fully polished front-end but I can at least build a prototype front end that I can click around on and show somebody. So if you only know back end, um, instead of like, I see some people kind of take pride on that on Twitter, like I don't do any front end. At least try to know enough front end that you can make something to show your coworker or your boss and say, here's kind of kind of you know a rough sketch of what it would look like. And it it doesn't have to look professionally designed, but just enough to where you can give something uh, to, to someone to know kind of the rough vision of what it's going to look like. Yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty good advice. I, I was even thinking about that um, earlier, a, a few days ago. As I told you guys, I'm, I'm working on the Laracast redesign, and we have some of the design set up, so I'm getting started with the CSS. And I did that thing where I stripped out the old CSS file, and then you load it in the browser, and you get that overwhelming, just nothing but HTML text. And I don't know about you guys, but like that initial thing is always like, oh my God, I don't know where to start. I just see everything. And oh my God, what do I do? You know, and it's like, you just, you start at the top and you, you you work on this and then you get the navigation area and then you focus on this. And it's like very task oriented, but I always get this overwhelming feeling when I, when I see that huge thing of text on the page. Gosh, that would give me a panic attack. Oh, it's, it's it was <laughs> yeah. kind of, I was, I was showing my wife, like, this is what I have to start with. And she's like, how, where do you go from there? And it's like, you just do it piece by piece. And actually on that note, if I can go on a tangent, 
I, I've noticed something very interesting with this redesign where I feel like I'm understanding the CSS a million times better because I'm working off of an existing design. So what, I've, what I'd always done in the past is like, you know, I'm, I'm not a designer, so I would just kind of code. I would design as I code, design with quotes, of course. So it's like, okay, let's just push the sidebar to the left and see how that looks and then that. And I found that it made my CSS really bad and brittle because we learn about things like thinking of components with CSS. And that sounds great, but when you don't have a design, it's hard to figure out what your components are, at least beyond basic stuff like a box and a button. But this time... I had the existing site so I could see like, oh, I, I know where these, this is a component right here. This like, l- l- this uh, list of lessons here, that can be its own component that I can reference anywhere. Or uh, this like lesson card that you see on a page, that's a component. You know, I, I had this completely different approach to it. And the CSS I'm writing this time is the best I've ever done. It's the most organized hmm. I've ever done. It's kind of an interesting thing when I already understand what I need versus just figuring it out on the fly. Anyways, that had nothing to do with anything. Um, what I would say, though, is as beneficial as knowing backend and front end is, it's hugely beneficial. If I could go back in time, I would tell myself it's okay to prefer one or the other. I was doing so much front end work. And then once I kind of switched and started focusing on the back end, I love it a million times more. So maybe that's what I would tell myself is like, they're kind of different things. And the back end is very. I don't know. You're focusing on different things. It's a different way to approach code versus writing CSS. CSS is very much, even for people who have been doing it for years and years, it's very much like, well, let's see what this property does. You know, like, does it, if I, if I do display inline, does that fix this? You know, it's a lot of just that crap, you know, where you vertical align. I have no idea when that's going to take effect or not, you know, so it's a lot of that. With uh, the back end, I don't know. It just feels kind of more, I don't know, tuned to my sensibilities. And um, that's what I would tell myself is like, try both. You should learn both. Absolutely. Um, but you may prefer one or the other. And, and that's okay. I didn't expect that our answers were going to be so similar. I thought this was going to be this super diverse set of answers. And one of you is going to be like, man, I should have learned TDD earlier. But it's funny because my answer is almost the same. But real quick, in response to Jeffrey, I found that the best front end code I write is when I have at least a wireframe and often a full design. And I write the entire DOM along with BEM uh, class names. Uh, before I touch a line of CSS. So, so there's a PSD sitting in one window or whatever it is, and I literally write that whole thing out, and I write the class names, and then I or someone else comes along later and writes the CSS for it. It's the best structure I can ever have. So what I wish I could tell myself back in 1996 is, you are not a designer. Because I I spent so long thinking I was a designer. And my brother was a back-end programmer, and he's, you know, four years older than me. And so he he did PHP, and then he did Python, all that kind of stuff. And we're kind of like, well, if we're going to do a BBS together, and later if we're going to do web projects together, and he already knows the back-end, I might as well be the designer. And I actually kind of internalized this concept of myself as like, yeah, I'm the artist, and I'm the designer, and he's the back-end coder. And I was not very good. And so it just made me not like coding. It made me not like doing websites because I thought that what I was supposed to be doing was, you know, was design. And, and the one part I liked about it was when I finally got to do front end. And so that's why I was, so, you know, CSS came out and I was like, oh, this is great. And JavaScript, I got really good at JavaScript really early, but JavaScript wasn't seen as a real programming language back then. It was just part of the front end. And so I knew just enough PHP to like tweak the things my brother had sent me. But I basically left programming for years and years and years because I just I wasn't any good as a designer. And so it just kind of burned me out. And when I came back, um, 
I came back and I saw the work was in backend. So I really, really threw myself deeply into backend. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I like this. I'm good at this. This lines, it's like you said with your sensibilities. This lines up with the way my brain thinks. And I'm satisfied in this. And I'm actually good at it. And I mean, I still love the front end, but I don't design at all because I'm not any good at it. So like, why build your identity around something that you're terrible at? So if I could just give myself that uh, cathartic moment or whatever earlier, <laughs> I think no, I could I, save I, myself. That's some amazing. Pain, so. I, like that's you much better phrased exactly what I was thinking. The idea of like, I felt like I had to be a designer and I felt like I had to do everything. And it's like, no, I, I'm just not good at it. It's like a comedian. You know, if you're a funny comedian, that doesn't mean you also have to be a writer. That doesn't mean you have to write movies. If you can, wonderful. But these are very different things. You know, being a being a back-end guy versus being more visual. Uh, the, the stuff that Jack McDade is doing for Laracast is so much better than I could ever do. And it, it, it originally upset, not not with this design, but originally years ago, it upset me because I felt like I, this is learnable, but I, it just doesn't come out as well for me. And it's like, no, it, it's okay. You have your, your wheelbarrow, you know? And um, yeah, maybe I thought that you had to do everything. You had to be the designer. You had to do this. And it's like, no, in real life, there are people where their only job is just to maintain and build this API. That's their entire job as a coder there's other people who do this you know everyone has their areas of focus if you're not good at one that doesn't mean you're not a coder it just means you're better off over here so very good advice matt thanks i actually went to college originally for graphic design because i was like i've already got a job i'm writing php and front end uh, front end stuff um, but I'm supposed to be this kind of all-in-one person, and I'm not any good at design. I'm a designer, but I'm good at design. So I went to school for graphic design, hoping they could teach me how to be a better designer. And I was in that for two years, and I finally left because they were trying to teach me about code, and they were trying to teach me about business. They're trying to teach me about Illustrator and Photoshop. And I ended up helping my um, graduate student assistants with their like theses because I already knew all that stuff. And I was like, I don't, I don't care about this stuff. Just teach me how to be a better artist. And finally, like I learned two years in, there's no such thing as teaching you to be be a better artist like some of those things are you just you have that sensibility or you don't and i switched off and became an english major but like that was like that was the switching moment where i realized like i'm just not a designer so and it took me a while to get back to web after getting burned yeah, there a, but a good yeah, example is music think if, if you play piano or guitar you could be an amazing musician that doesn't necessarily mean you're you're a songwriter you know it may mean you are which is great but if yeah. not it's it's perfectly okay just to be an incredible musician who's not a writer it's okay you know people kind of have their own areas of focus and and that's just the way it goes that's why it's really annoying when people can do both where it just pisses me off cuz you're like you're not allowed to be great at both yes. of these you have to focus on your thing get in your lane right so um those people exist unfortunately yeah um one last thing before we go uh, all three of us are married. Uh, do any of you, or do you own any piece of clothing that if your wife tried to throw it out, it would be a fight? Especially if it's one of the pieces of clothing that's more likely for a wife to want to. So throw out. I'll, I'll start. I'll start with this. Um, y'all can see this. This navy. It's a, this is a plain navy T-shirt I'm wearing. For the listeners, I'm wearing a plain navy T-shirt. It has absolutely nothing on it. It's just <laughs> a navy T-shirt, but it fit, it fits pretty nice and. Um, Matt and Jeffrey can't see this, but I actually have 15 of these t-shirts. I have 15 of these Navy t-shirts and <laughs> uh, it drives Abigail crazy. But like if on days like this, when I'm not going anywhere, I just grab one of my Navy t-shirts out of the top drawer. And that's what I wear that day because I, I'm just going to be working from the house. I'm not going to any kind of co-working space. And uh, yeah. yeah, she thinks that's pretty nuts, but it's actually kind of nice to have 15 of these same t-shirts. That's fantastic. 
Um, I love it because first of all, I actually, so my wife bought me some shirts for, for my birthday and I went back to the same store this weekend and just bought more of them just in like different colors and different, cause it's the same thing. Just, I want to just like, I, I want to be able to like dress nice and dress in fancy stuff like that. But there's something even among my nice stuff, but especially in casual stuff to just be able to like, just consistently, you know, just, I've got this, I know it works. I know it fits. I know the things that it works together with. I don't have to think about matching things in the morning. What's interesting though is, uh, moving towards like the plain simple shirt in that direction i'm sorry i'm taking this way i care about fashion the the blue shirt looks good at you it like brings out your eyes it's like a good look and i'm i'm doing the same thing i'm finding that i wear black and gray though so but it's the same kind of thing like i'm just have more and more and more black and gray crew neck t-shirts yeah so the back the background on this t-shirt is actually in landsman where i remember this but the the johnny ive uh headshots in the apple videos if i don't know if you've noticed Mm -hmm. but he's got like this super nice um navy t-shirt and it's like it looks like really thick and there are like discussions online trying to figure out like what brand t-shirt is he wearing <laughs> because it's like a really heavy material and it's like a really nice t-shirt and it just looks like nice and i actually googled around for like a few days and found all these discussions oh, yeah. online like analyzing the t-shirt like zooming in on the t-shirt trying to figure out what t-shirt this was so that, that's why i have this kind of particular t-shirt Okay, so what T-shirt I, is it's it? A, it's a it's kind of a funky European brand. I'll have to look at the exact brand. I, I could never really find a great place to order them. Um, I couldn't even find that particular color actually, um, even though I did find the brand. But I I went to like this bulk T-shirt store and got fifteen of these for like three dollars a piece. So every time I get a T-shirt from a um from a vendor like a with a print on it that I really like, there's basically two main ones that I have. Although I just got a third one right now. I look at who made it. And then I basically buy a whole bunch of those. So Next Level has a tri-blend, which I've been made fun of for getting tri-blend instead of it. But I don't care. Like, it's my it's one of my favorite t-shirts. So several of mine are that. Um, the American Apparel, Apparel one that MailChimp and everybody prints theirs on is amazing. But American Apparel <laughs> yes. is a horrible company. This is my favorite um, podcast ever. It's terrible. The fact that, the fact that Matt Stauffer said tri-blend <laughs> on the Laravel podcast makes me really happy. <laughs> No, I have to admit, a Laracast t-shirts are American Apparel, but I totally agree with Matt. Like, everyone's, at least I don't know if it's outside the U.S., but you look at the back of some magazine and there's like some 14-year-old girl that's way too... Oh, we're, we're getting totally yeah. off topic, but yeah, like I, I'm totally with Matt <laughs> on this issue. I need to switch out from American Apparel. All right, so this one right here, this Be Nice and Do Good, I'll sh- I'm showing it to you guys, I'll put it in the show notes. I was just given one of these from Zangle. Um... And this is the most comfortable shirt I've ever worn in my life. And I'm just praying that it's not American Apparel, because if it's not, I'm going to go buy a whole bunch of those. So I'll, I'll look it up and let you guys know later. But that's my new favorite. So, so sorry, we were on a different question. So, Jeffrey, is there anything that if uh, that your wife would throw out, no, you, it would be um, a fight? Just to be frank, I'm wearing a Laracon t-shirt <laughs> right now. So I'm not like, I, I'm not anti-fashion at all, but. <laughs> I'm wearing a Laracon t-shirt right now, so I guess we have to factor that. Uh, I, one thing I very much admire about you, Matt, is you kind of, and I've heard this on your other podcast, where like you go to work, you get ready, it's more of a process, you know? And uh, I definitely find, as you guys can see right now, I can fall into this trap sometimes where it's like, just just wake up and, and get to work, and then, then shower in a few hours. And I, I do like the idea of like, no, it, treat it like a regular job where you get ready and, and you go somewhere else to work. I can very much get behind that, because if you're not careful... Yeah, you can kind of just turn into the guy wearing conference t-shirts coding, and it's like, we we don't want to be that. I don't want to be that guy, you know? We're better than this. Uh, but I am completely that guy right now, so I will leave it at that. Oh, man, I have to have that morning shower. I have to get that shower in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, at this point, I've got to get the gym. The gym and the shower in the morning, and, that, and then the coffee. That's kind of my things, and then I'm, then I'm ready to go. 
Um, so one thing that helped me is that on the days when I don't feel like I can get my stuff together, what I want is like a set of casual clothing that I have at home that looks like I'm not wearing, you know, cargo shorts and, you know, DigitalOcean t-shirts or whatever. Not, not the, and I mean, DigitalOcean has great t-shirts, but, and so it's actually what, what Taylor's thing is, is basically I have a whole bunch of, uh, simple t-shirts. I find a fit that I like and just buy a whole bunch of different colors. And then I get some like nice jeans that are not like you're going out in the town kind of jeans, but just like nice enough that these are the ones I wear when I'm not doing crap in the yard. And just, just that nice pair of shoes, nice jeans, and a simple plain t-shirt is like, that showed that you cared about what you're doing. You didn't. You didn't put down a fancy button down and some slacks, but it's a it's a start. That that's helped me. So okay, if my wife threw out, I think it's there's a jacket that I got. Long story, super super short. Basically, there was this company. I think it was Jedediah or something back in, when I was in high school. Um, that I really like their stuff, and I put on my uh, Christmas wish list something from Jedediah. And then throughout the span of the year, they changed and decided they wanted to be like a skateboarding company instead of just like a normal people clothing company. So my mom buys me a couple things for them for Christmas, and I was like, this isn't my style at all. She's like, I know it's not. So she returns it, and she and then they're like, well, what do you want from our catalog? And the only thing that I would actually wear is this kind of like motorcycle-looking black jacket kind of thing. And uh, I was like, I'll... I'll I literally will never wear anything like that, but with the heck, I'll try it. And so that was in high school, so the two th- early 2000s, and it's 2015 now, and it's still my favorite jacket I've ever worn in my life. And it's getting a little worn, you know, a little rough around the edges, but something about that jacket, man, if, if she if she went after it, we would have a little bit of fisticuffs, not really fisticuffs, but verbal fisticuffs, so. Okay, so this is the longest uh, Matt Stafford Led Laravel podcast ever. So we're going to call today. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we're done for the day? Sign up for Laracasts. There you go. Yeah, speaking of which, if you're trying to learn, uh, one of the things I tell people when they're learning, I'm like, go to go to Treehouse, go to Laracast. And they're like, Laracast is for Laravel. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> go sign up for Laracast. I promise you, uh, Jeffrey Way is one of the best teachers on the internet. And I've said that before. He was my friend. So Thank I can keep you, saying buddy. it now and you know I actually And sign up for so. Forge and of use course. Titan and all that other good stuff. We don't promote. I keep saying we got to promote our stuff more. <laughs> all that other stuff. I'm going to do it for everyone. Yeah. It's okay. They know. They know who we are. All right. It was a pleasure as always, guys. Talk to you later.